You know what Galatians 5, 4 says? Even if the reference is not one that comes readily to your memory, I have no doubt that when we start to read it, you will recognize it very, very quickly. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. We've read this verse a lot. We've heard sermons on this verse. We've had classes on this verse. We know what this verse says. We want to make sure that everybody knows that the Bible does in fact teach that you can fall from grace. And to be sure, that is exactly what this passage teaches. No matter how you try to color it, no matter how you try to interpret it, no matter how you try to cut it, no matter how you try to explain it away, in the end, this verse says very clearly and very plainly that we can, in fact, fall away from the grace that God has offered us. Even we, as God's children, if we surrender our lives to sin again, it will take over our lives and it will separate us from Christ and the grace that He has offered. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 and verse 16 points out about us as Christians. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. If we submit ourselves to sin, we're going to become slaves to sin. And verse 23 says, the wages of sin is death. That can happen to us. But I have a more important question for you. And the more important question is, do you know 1 Peter 5 and verse 12? 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12. Perhaps a more important verse for us. Probably don't know this one as well. And even though we just read it just a moment ago, probably don't know it quite as well. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 12, Peter said, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. I fear that I have spent so much time trying to study the concept of falling away from the grace of God that I've forgotten to spend some time thinking about how do I stand firm in the grace of God. Romans chapter 5. And verse 2, Romans chapter 5 and verse 2 says, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Here's this grace in which we stand, and because of the grace in which we stand, we are able to rejoice in the hope that comes from God. Acts chapter 13 and verse 43. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 43, Paul is teaching the gospel. It says, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Now, there is no doubt that we need to study the warnings about falling from the grace of God. We need to heed those warnings. That is a concern because it can happen. But it seems to me if we spend more of our time talking about how to stand firm in the grace of God, if we spend more of our time talking about how to continue in the grace of God, we're not going to have to worry about falling away from that grace, are we? Yes, it's true that we need to heed the warnings that talk to us about how we can fall from the mountaintop. But if instead of all that worry about how far can I get to the coast of that edge before I fall and spend more of our time talking about how can we just plan our feet steadfastly and firmly in God's grace, 
then we're not going to have to worry about the fall, are we? That's what I want us to talk about this morning. I want us to talk a little bit about standing firm in the grace of God. How do we do that? How is it that we continue in God's grace? How can we stand firm rejoicing in God and the hope that He offers? I want to share with you seven things that I believe will help us with that. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you. You are awesome and powerful. You have lifted us up from the mire of our sin and from the awful things that we've done in our lives. And you're setting us free through your Son. And we're gaining victory over sin, and we're so thankful for that. And we pray that you would continue to be with us. Father, we're so thankful for the grace that you have offered that's washed our sins away and have brought us into the kingdom of your Son. And we pray that you would strengthen us and help us, that we might continue in your grace, that we might stand firmly in your grace. Help us, Father, not to be distracted by the world or the things of the world that might cause us to fall and leave your grace. Father, we pray that you would lift us up as you have and continue to be with us. And we offer you that thanks and praise. Thank you so much for your son and his death that demonstrated his grace and love to us. And thank you, Father, for loving us. We love you so much. Through your son we pray. Amen. Standing firm in God's grace. How are we going to do that? The very first thing that we have to do if we want to stand firm in God's grace is listen to God's gospel. Listen to His gospel of grace. Listen to His call of grace. Look in Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 6, Paul is shocked by the Galatians and how they have left the gospel of grace for another supposed gospel. In Galatians 1 and verse 6 it says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. God's gospel is the gospel of grace. If we want to stay in that grace, we need to be listening to the gospel that God has given. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 9. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 9 drives this home saying, Do not be led away by diverse or strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Don't be led away by diverse or strange teachings. Don't go after other gospels. Don't go after other teachings. Be strengthened by grace. God's gospel is where the strengthening of grace comes from. We need to stay within the gospel that Jesus has offered. No wonder in 1 Timothy chapter 1, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul warned Timothy. And he urged him to charge people in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. Charge them to teach no other doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship that is by God through faith. And he further warned him in chapter 6. In chapter 6, beginning at verse 3, he said, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of great gain. 
He warns against going to other teachings and other doctrines. We need to stay within the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we want to stand firm in the grace of God, solidly in the middle of that grace, without danger of falling away from it, we need to be in God's gospel. And thus we see the very first Christians in Acts chapter 2. Instead of being twisted by different doctrines and strange teachings and going after other Gospels. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, as they came into Christ, it says, and they devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching. That's what we need to do. If we want to stand firmly in God's grace, we have to devote ourselves to teaching. Don't let a day go by that you don't spend time in God's Gospel and what He has revealed for us. Not because God has said, you're a Christian, better read your Bible every day. But because if we want to stay in the grace of God, this is where we find it. This is where we learn about it. This is what's going to keep us there. If we want to stand firmly in God's grace, we've got to stand firmly in God's gospel. We need to listen to the gospel. Secondly, we need to hope fully in God's grace. Hope fully. In God's grace. Look in 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13, Peter says, Therefore, prepare, this is 1 Peter 1.13 as you're turning there. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Where are we supposed to set our hope? On the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How much of our hope is to be set there? Set your hope fully on the grace that is going to be revealed to us when Jesus is revealed. Not just part of our hope, not some of our hope, not a little bit of our hope, all of it. Place your hope fully in God's grace. How many times have you heard Christians as they think about their coming death? Boy, I just hope that I've done enough. Oh, I just hope that I've overcome sin enough. I just... When we're saying those things, our hope's in the wrong place. When our hope is resting in what we're doing and what we have done, we're not hoping in what we're supposed to hope in. Brothers and sisters, here's what we just need to understand. If we go to heaven, it's not going to be because we're good enough. If we go to heaven, it's going to be because God is good enough. And our hope for heaven does not rest upon what we've done. If it does, we're in trouble. Brothers and sisters, we can't go to church enough to deal with the sins that we've committed. We can't avoid sin from now on out enough to pay for the sins that we've already committed. We can't follow the pattern enough to earn and deserve heaven. If our hope is resting on us and our abilities and our strength, we are a sorry lot. Our hope needs to be fully in the grace that will be revealed through Jesus at His coming. All of our hope. Remember in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15. The council that discussed circumcision. Peter demonstrated the problem with thinking that we can save ourselves by our law-keeping and our strength. 
He says in Acts 15, verses 10 and 11, Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. You see, when we start trying to, to dump on ourselves all these laws and these things, that if I do all these things, I'm good enough, we're actually testing God. How are we saved? We're saved by God's grace. Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. Romans chapter 3 and verse 24. We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Where must our hope be? Our hope must lie fully in God's grace. I'd like to think of another aspect of this God's grace and our hope being fully in God's grace. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Beginning at verse 7, Paul says, this is 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said to me, my, my what? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul learned something about this weakness. He learned something about this struggle. He learned something about this calamity that was going on in his life. He learned that it was because of his weakness that he could be strong in God. And he learned that even this messenger of Satan was a grace from the Lord and God's grace was sufficient for him. What Paul learned is where, where I am right now, God can use that. And I'll take it as a gift from God. I'll take it as a gift from God that I might lean on Him and learn from Him and have His strength working in me. I don't have to rely on my strength. The things that remind me that I need His strength, that is where grace is. And he was putting his hope in God's grace, not in himself, not in his own strength. He wasn't putting himself and uh, putting his hope and his trust and getting rid of that thorn. He was putting his hope and his trust in God. Fully in God's grace. Hope fully in God's grace. Thirdly, we need to learn to walk by faith, not by the law. We need to learn to walk by faith and not by the law. Look in Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, Paul says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He says because the promise rests on grace, because our hope is fully in God's grace, we need to understand that it does not rest on law, it rests on faith. 
We need to understand that law-keeping does not save or justify anyone. In fact, in Revelation chapter, excuse me, in Romans chapter 3, in verse 20, the Scripture says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through law comes knowledge of sin. What is the purpose of law? The purpose of law is not to justify us. We've already blown that. We've already demonstrated that law isn't going to save us because we haven't kept it. Law does not justify us. Law demonstrates we need justification. Law demonstrates a knowledge of our sin. That's what the law does for us. It tells us we're sinners and we need something. We need justification that comes by the grace of God. Look in Galatians. In Galatians, chapter 3. Galatians, chapter 3, and verse 21. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Might be given to those who have faith. He says, if a law could have saved us, that one that God gave the Jews, it would have done it. But that law didn't save anybody. What the Scripture did was trap everybody under sin. That law didn't save anybody. It told us all we need saving. How are we going to get that saving? We're going to get it by being in Jesus Christ, by walking in faith. Look back in chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. That's what he says here. The law doesn't justify. It's faith in Christ that justifies. But don't misunderstand, he points out. Walking by faith instead of walking by law does not mean that I can just do whatever I want. He said, I died to the law, not so I could be alive to sin. I died to the law, why? So I could be alive to God. And then look at verse 20, what walking by faith means. You see, some of us are afraid right now. Some of us are afraid, oh no, Oh no, he's saying, don't worry about law. Law doesn't matter. I can live however I want. That's not what Paul says. That's not what he says at all. Chapter 2 and verse 20, he describes what it means to walk by faith. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you have a problem with somebody living that way? Paul says, I'm not living according to law. I'm living by faith. What does that living look like? Living by faith means letting Jesus have control. We need to understand what this means on a practical basis. On a very practical basis, somebody who is living by law may look a whole lot like somebody who is living by faith on the outside. Those who are walking by law may get baptized, may attend assemblies, may read their Bible, may pray daily. And that's exactly the kind of thing that those who are walking by faith are going to do. The difference between walking by law and walking by faith is the internal motivation. 
Walking by law is a motivation that says, I'm good enough. I'm finding out what the laws are and watch me. I'll keep them because that's how awesome I am. Walking by faith says, I'm not good enough. I've already blown it. I need someone to save me. I'm just going to do what Jesus says. Jesus is the Savior. I'll just listen to him. Wherever he says go, that's what I'll do. And when I've done that, I haven't saved myself. Jesus has saved me. My hope is not resting in my law-keeping. My hope is resting in Jesus, that his way works. I'm just going to do what he says. We need to learn to walk by faith and not walk by law. We're going to stand firmly resting in the middle of God's grace, continuing in that grace. We've got to learn to keep God's grace pure. Because one of the things that we need to understand is that there is no good and pure, wholesome doctrine of Christ that Satan will not try to twist. There is no teaching of Jesus that provides benefit and happiness and comfort and peace and joy that Satan will not try to wrest away from us and twist and pervert and overthrow the salvation of some and even make us afraid to teach the true doctrine of Christ. Because I'll tell you what, that's exactly what Satan has done with this. It's exactly what Satan has done with this. Some of us are afraid to teach too much on grace. Because we're afraid if we tell people walk by faith, not by law, they might misunderstand. They might think that resting firmly in God's grace means I don't have to worry about what I do. I just live however I want. I just walk however I want. Oh, I can sin if I want to, and God will just overlook that because it's all about His grace. And there are people who believe that. There are people who act that way. We're afraid that folks will misunderstand and think that's what the Bible says when we start showing what it really says about grace. But that's not what the Bible says about grace at all. Jude, verse 4. In Jude, verse 4, the Scripture says, For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. There are some who hear this great, comforting, joyous news of the grace of God that has saved us from our sins, and they turn that into a license for sensuality. Well, God's grace means I can do whatever I want. No, 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 that's not what it means. It's not what the Bible says. And they might do this in any number of ways. There are some who might do this by thinking that because they, can, they confess to a priest, that it doesn't matter what they did. They might even confess and have absolution before they do. There are some who might cherish some iniquity in their heart, as Psalm 66 and verse 18 speaks against. Cherish some iniquity in their heart and think, that's okay, I can just hang on to this one and it'll be all right. Or maybe that they just think, hey, I've been baptized, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm okay. That's not what the Scripture teaches. It is true. Grace tells us according to 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, that if we sin, we can confess our sins and God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And grace does tell us, according to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who is the propitiation for our sins. Grace tells us that. But grace does not tell us that sin doesn't matter. Grace is not a license to sin. Grace is not an excuse to sin. Grace is not a justification for our sin. And grace doesn't say that our sins don't matter. 
That's not the purpose of grace. God, God did not give us His grace so that we could sin. God gave us His grace so that we could be set free from sin. Look in Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, Paul said this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace might increase? May it never be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. God didn't give us grace so we could walk in sin. God gave us grace because we were walking in sin. He gave us grace so that we could be set free from that, so that we could walk in newness of life. So that we could have progressive victory over that sin. So that we could overcome it. That's why He gave us grace. If we turn grace into a license to sin, we're not standing firm in His grace, we're falling away from His grace. That wasn't what His grace is about. You see that? We've got to keep the grace pure. We need to accept the grace for why it was given to us. Sadly, I fear that too many of us, we don't really want victory over sin. We just want forgiveness. We want to know how much do I have to do so I can have the forgiveness and still be able to get far enough on all this other stuff. That's not it at all. That's not why God gave us grace. God didn't give us grace so we could figure out how far we could go and still have it. God gave us grace so we could overcome we need to walk in God's grace. Understanding that God didn't give us grace so that we could live in sin. He gave us grace to set us free from sin. Our question is, what do we want? Do we just want forgiveness of our sins so we can just keep sinning and it doesn't matter? Or do we actually want freedom from our sins? See, God doesn't offer grace just to forgive us so we can keep sinning. God offers us grace so that we can be free from it. And we need to keep that grace pure. As we stand firmly in the grace of God, we need to tell, or we need to turn to God when we're struggling. You see, all this talk about grace is joyous and it's comforting and it provides us with peace and happiness. But then we get down to the brass tacks of life and we leave this assembly and we go out into the world and temptation strikes. We are naive to think that Satan is okay with us being in God's grace. We are naive to think that Satan is just going to look at us and say, oh, well, lost that one. That's not what's going to happen. Satan is fighting for us. Satan wants us. And Satan is going to be hurling every possible temptation at us that he, that he can to get us to fall from that grace instead of standing firmly in it. I want you to notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 14, the Hebrew writer said, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
Standing firm in God's grace does not mean that we'll never have problems. Standing firm in God's grace does not mean that we'll never have temptations. Standing firm in God's grace means when the temptation comes, now I have somewhere to go. There's a throne of grace that I can go to and I can find help in my time of need. I have some place I can go. I don't have to face it on my own. So that's where I was out in the world. When I was out in the world, I was facing those things on my own. I had nowhere to turn. All that was there was defeat and death. But now I've got Jesus and I can go to His throne of grace and He will give help. Why? Because He's been through it. But He overcame. If you want to know how to do something, where do you go? Go to somebody who did it. Jesus did it. He was tempted in all points as we are. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Jesus went through that. He knows how to overcome. And we can turn to Him when temptation strikes. Instead of just trying to face it on our own, turn to God. Give it over to God. Sacrifice it to Him. Pray about it. Talk to Him about it. But we don't always want to do what God says about it. Most of the time. Even though we come into this realm of grace and God has offered this grace, we want to stay by ourselves. We want to isolate and keep trying to do it on our own. James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And verse 16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. God has provided us a network of grace. He's given us His Word. He allows us to pray. He's given us each other. And yet, when struggles come, what do we naturally do? I don't want to talk about that because y'all might think less of me. Why don't you look around at everybody here? You want to know what everybody here has done? Everybody here has sinned. Every one of them. Every one of them. If they think less of you because you share the thing you're struggling with, they're sinning again. God has given us this network of grace. Standing firm in God's grace doesn't mean, look at me how strong I am. Standing firm in God's grace means, I need to talk to you about how weak I am. I need some help. I need to pray. I need to turn to God. I need to get together with you and I need to pray with you. We need to pray for each other and with each other. Because that's how we stand firmly in God's grace. If we keep trying to stand on our own, we're going to fall. Let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Brothers and sisters, how many times do we have to see people isolate, stay with themselves, and we think they've got it all under control, and then they fall away before we learn that's going to happen to us? We don't start talking to people. We don't start sharing and resting firmly in the grace that God is giving us. We want to stand firmly in God's grace. We've got to turn to God when we're struggling. Otherwise, we'll fall from His grace. We need to give God the glory. There's a paradox when it comes to Christian living. And I think it's a paradox that causes some people that, that they just can't grasp it. They just can't see it. And because of that, they fall from God's grace instead of standing firmly in it. I'd like for you to look in Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do you see the paradox in there? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, he says. Why? Because it's God working in you. 
You work it out. Why? Because it's not you working. It's God working. Now, which is it? Am I working out my salvation with fear and trembling, or is God working? It's both. It's both. We're working and God is working. And if we don't grasp that, and if we don't see the work of God, we're not going to stand firmly in His grace. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10 demonstrates what this has to do with standing firmly in God's grace. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10 says, But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You see what Paul said? Do you see the paradox in there? Paul says, I was working harder than anybody. But it wasn't me working. It was the grace of God that was working. Now, which was it? Was it Paul working or was it God working? Paul says it was both. You see, the grace of God doesn't mean I just sit on my thumbs and do nothing and expect God to do all this stuff. The grace of God means I work. I work hard. But when it's all said and done, who do I give the glory to? I give the glory to God because I understand His grace is working in my life. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 6. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. When we give Him the glory, when we recognize that He is working, then He will work. Then He will establish our paths and make our way straight. In Acts chapter 17, Paul on Mars Hill talked about the God of heaven, our Lord and Savior. He says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 28 that in Him we live and move and have our very being. You may have got up this morning and it may have been your body that's pumping the oxygen in and out and it may be you that goes to work every day and it may be you that does the driving it may be you that does the pushing and the pulling and the walking and the running and, and all the things that you do but who is it that lets you live, move and have your very being? Back up in verse 25 it says he's not served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything God is working, and when we're done working ourselves and we've accomplished something or we've overcome, we need to give God the glory. But the problem is when we're looking through our eyes of the flesh, all we can see is our effort and our work. It's only when we look through the eyes of the Spirit and the eyes of faith that we recognize that God is working. We can't measure God's work in a laboratory. We can't quantify what God has done or how He has done it. I know that. And I know there are people that struggle with that. We can't get out a rule or a slide rule and say, look, this much God did. We can't do that. But when it's all said and done, we need to understand that it's God who gives us life, breath, and all things. Every good gift comes from God. And so when we have worked, we need to understand that it's by God's grace that we've worked and we need to acknowledge Him and give Him the glory. And when we do that, then we'll be standing firmly in God's grace. Understand that God's doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. When the day is over, we need to give thanks to God for everything that He has done on our behalf. Understanding that all we've accomplished is only because of God. We need to give Him the glory. And finally, if we want to stand firmly in God's grace, we've got to pass God's grace on to others. We've got to bring the message of grace into the lives of those who are around us. We do this, brothers and sisters, not because God has given us assignment to evangelize, but because we need what we get out of sharing the grace of God with others. 
Paul says of himself in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24, I do not account my life of any value. This is Acts chapter 20 and verse 24. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That's what I want to do. I just want to testify to the gospel. I, I want to bring that up and bear testimony to the world around me of the gospel of the grace of God. And then in verse 32, he turned to those elders and he said, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He wanted to share that gospel. This is the same person who said, I become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. He wanted to get that message of God's gospel out to others. We've got to take the message of grace to other people. But sadly, all too often, we take to them the message of law. Somebody does something wrong and instead of taking the message of God's grace to them, we beat them about the head and neck with God's law. How dare you, we say. Especially if it's somebody who's one of our own brethren. How dare you do such a thing? I'll tell you how they dare. We all do that. How dare we approach somebody with that message when we have failed just like they have? We need to take the message of grace. But all too often, we come with the older brother's message in Luke 15. In Luke chapter 15, verse 28, the older brother was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf. He said to him, Son, you are always with me, and that is all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive, and he was lost and is found. The older brother came with a message of law. He hadn't done enough. He hadn't done what I've done. The older brother came with this naive, misunderstood, sinful concept that he had always done right. He didn't understand that he was standing firmly in the Father's grace. He thought he was standing on his own obedience. So he came to him with a message of law instead of the message of grace. Philip Yancey. Somebody moved my book. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, and also in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, tells a story. He heard it from a friend. The friend who worked with the down and out in Chicago said, a prostitute came to me in wretched straits homeless, sick, unable to buy food for her two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me that she had been renting out her daughter, two years old, to men. She made more renting out her daughter for an hour than she could earn on her own in a night. She had to do it, she said, to support her own drug habit. I could hardly bear hearing her sordid story. For one thing, it made me legally liable. I'm required to report cases of child abuse. I had no idea what to say to this woman. At last, I asked if she had ever thought of going to a church for help. I'll never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They'd just make me feel worse. Nancy goes on to say, What struck me about my friend's story is that women much like this prostitute fled toward Jesus not away from him. Why? Why do people like that go to Jesus? 
Look in Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, beginning of verse 36, we see Jesus in Simon's house, a Pharisee, one of the righteous, one of the religious, one of the guys who abstained from sin, who was pretty good, who was a lot like us. Some of us. Verse 37, Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. The common thought here is this doesn't mean that she was a gossip. The common thought is a woman who is a sinner, and Jesus should have known, because she's a prostitute. And she learned that he was reclining at a table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. We're not going to read the whole story. We know how it ends. Verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Why'd that happen? Jesus didn't come to her with the message of the law. He didn't come saying, don't you know that adultery is wrong? Don't you know that fornication is wrong? Don't you know that prostitution is a sin? What's wrong with you? How dare you? Why do you keep doing that? He came to her with a message of grace. He came to her with a message that says, I can forgive you of that and I can free you from that. I can get you out of that. And she wanted out. We need to take that message to others. And when we do, we're standing firmly in grace. Now, please, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that we don't rebuke sin. Jesus taught that we rebuke sin. Luke 17, verse 3, pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. But the Scripture does clearly teach us that even if one of our brethren falls, and we have to rebuke him, and we even have to withdraw from him, 1 Thessalonians tells us, Excuse me, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14 tells us, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person, have nothing to do with it, that he may be ashamed. But do not regard him as an enemy. Admonish him as a brother. As a brother. Take that message of grace to him. The issue is not, how could you break the law? The issue is, I know what can save you from that. Here's God's grace. If you don't stand firmly in God's grace, you're going to fall away from it. And then what will you do? We want to stand firmly in God's grace. We've got to share this message with others. Not because it's our homework assignment, but because we need to hear that message over and over and over again ourselves. And the best way for us to hear it is to share it with others. We need to stand firmly in God's grace. And if we do stand firmly in God's grace, then we'll be able to enjoy God's promise through Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Even you, with all the things that you've done, with all the problems that you've had, with all the sins that you've committed, if you will stand firmly in God's grace, He will restore, strengthen, confirm, and establish even you. And even me. Anybody else want that promise? That's a great promise right there, isn't it? Only comes about in God's grace. It's not going to come about any other 
place. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved but by Jesus Christ. Let's get in that grace and let's stay there.